of years ago, Alan and I got into a pretty good routine of working out. We were eating better, we were working out, we were going to the gym, and it was all great. And then about two months ago, uh, we hit a little bit of a roadblock. We got really busy, we got really tired, we got really overwhelmed, and we kind of stopped going. Uh, I think we went maybe three, four times in the last uh, two and a half, three months. And so during camp, with the kids gone, we decided it was going to be a good time for us to get back into going. Well, Monday didn't happen because that's when we took them to camp. Tuesday, uh, I think we had to work or something and we were really tired. Tuesday came and went. Wednesday, something happened, came and went. And then finally, Thursday, the absolute last day that we could get back into it, uh, we decided to go. So we got up at 4 o'clock. We left our house at 4.30. Alan was driving. I always go up 4.36 from Winter Park here. Alan was driving. He took I-4, which I never take I-4 if I can possibly avoid it. We get on the freeway at Fairbanks, uh, uh, you know, it goes in and, and you've got three lanes. Very quickly it narrowed to one and we knew we were in trouble. I mean, it was moving, but it was going pretty slow. Right about Altamont, it opened back up to the three lanes and it was like, yes. And so Alan starts making his way over to get off at uh, 434. We get pretty close and the whole exit is blocked off. I mean, cop cars, pylons, the whole bit. And so, if you know I-4, you know where we had to go. We had to go past 434, all the way up to Lake Mary. We get off on Lake Mary, we turn, we get to Lake Mary. There's like three places where you can turn left and possibly make a U-turn. They all say, no U-turn, in order to come around. So, we may or may not have made an illegal U-turn then and got back onto I-4 and started heading back. And we weren't even sure then that that exit was going to be open. Thankfully, it was. Well, let me tell you, hitting all of those roadblocks, all of those hindrances in trying to get back into a routine of working out, it was, it was really tempting to just stay on I-4 and go right on back to Winter Park and go right on back to bed. But we didn't, we made it, we pushed through and it, it, it was good to push through and actually get there. And so that's actually kind of what I wanna talk about a little bit today. With these guys coming home from camp, with those of us who, oh, maybe who go through hard times and we feel disconnected or, or we wanna get back into it and it just seems like sometimes there's hindrances, there's roadblocks, there's things that keep us from experiencing the fullness of life that God has offered us. And um, it really is how we respond to those hindrances and those roadblocks, because we will have them in life. They will happen. Um, I felt like the other morning, it was kind of a test, like, do you really want to work out? I was like, yes. And so we were willing to go through and do whatever we needed to get there. So last week, um, if you didn't hear Clark's message, I would highly suggest that you go back and listen to it. I think it was awesome. Uh, for me, it was one of those messages where not only did he present the truth of how much God has given us when he uh, talked about 1 Corinthians 1.30, and he reminded us that by God's doing, you in Christ Jesus, you are in Christ Jesus who became wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption for all of us. And he did that all through love. But Clark also 
had the feels in it. He got a little teary and stuff like that. And it was something, it was such a good reminder for me about all that, he, all that God has given us and all that he has done for us. And yet, being the ever so pragmatic and doer, achiever person that I am, my thoughts turned to, okay, if I understand all of this that God has given, if I, if I get a little bit of, of how redeemed I am and how sanctified and how righteous I am, then why, why is it that I'm sometimes still so tired and so frustrated and so worried and even so unkind to those that I love most? I'm like, God, I want to experience the fullness of all that you have given me. What is it that's hindering me? It seems like something's hindering me. So that's kind of what I want to talk about a little bit this morning. I want to talk about what it is that's blocking us from living in the fullness of all that God has given us, his wisdom, sanctification, righteousness, and redemption. But I also know there's a couple of things. Well, I, I know that there's a couple of things that hinder me. So I'm kind of guessing that maybe they, they get at you too. And then in a minute or so, I want to talk about um, some verses that I uh, hadn't read in a couple of years, but I came across I was, as I was planning for VBS. Um, and I want to share those with you because they brought me a sense of hope for something better and a sense of purpose. So let's first look at those few things that are hindrances to me. Um, one of those things is just our plain circumstances. It's like the roadblocks on the freeway, right? It's so easy for us to look at our circumstances, to look at what's going on around us, and we fall into some really bad habits. How many of you can look at a situation and the first thing that you see is what's wrong, or you see what's negative, or you see that maybe something is going to H-E double hockey sticks like one of my sweet little guys over in Grace Kids the other week said. How many of us? It's such a bad habit for us to get into. Seeing the negative is a bad habit. Why is it so hard for us to see the good? I don't know if you know, that we have over 11 million sensory receptors that help us see, hear, touch, taste, and feel things. We have 11 million of them. What I find fascinating is that over 10 million of the 11 million are dedicated or connected to sight. So what we're seeing really does matter. The good news is that when we look for the good, we will find it. When we look with eyes to seek and to find God in a situation, to find what he's doing, we'll find it because it's there. All right. Then there's my friends, shame and fear. They're not my friends. <laughs> They're not very nice. <sighs> but I think we all hang out with them sometimes, right? Maybe we're ashamed to show our emotions. <laughs> Maybe we're afraid of what people will think. But shame, shame isn't, just, I just want to make this clear real quick. Shame isn't what you feel when you make a poor choice. That's guilt. And I got to be honest, guilt sometimes can just a little bit of it, as long as we don't wallow in it, guilt can be good for us. 
Guilt can show us uh, where maybe we've hurt someone. Guilt can show us what's ours to own and the personal responsibility that we can take. A little bit of guilt. Now, now David did pray that, that God would take away the guilt of his sin, but it can be used to channel us, to, to get our eyes off of ourselves and on to others. Shame is something different. Shame is an identity. Shame says you aren't worthy of being loved. Shame tells you that you're not enough. You're not enough. You're not worthy of receiving good things that God has to offer you. If you, I mean, if you don't believe you're enough, chances are you will end up working really hard to make yourself enough or to perfect yourself. You're going to work really hard, and it's going to be really difficult for you to receive all that God is giving you. You can't receive, if, if you're working for your perfection and your sanctification and your righteousness, it's going to be very hard for you and me <laughs> to receive it, right? If you don't believe that you're worthy of being loved, how are you ever going to receive the kind of redeeming love that God has to offer in abundance? So that's shame. It blocks us. It blocks us from feeling worthy. It blocks us from feeling um, worthy of being loved. Then there's shame's buddy fear who causes us to fight, right? To take flight. This was a new one for me the other day. Or to freeze. I've heard about fighting and flighting, but I hadn't heard about freezing. And I got to tell you what, that's what fear does to me a lot of times. Um, I see the, the spider in the corner, and it's like, <laughs> wait, I don't want to get it. Somebody else help me, right? Some of us go after it. Some of us run from it. Others of us freeze. Did you know that do not fear, or said with a positive twist, be brave, is the most repeated... This thing is falling. My hair pulls it down. It, anyway... Sorry about that. Did you know that do not fear is the most repeated commandment or encouragement, depending on how you look at it. It's the most repeated one in the Bible. Remember when the angels told the shepherds, do not fear for we bring you good news of great joy. It's like God was looking at us, looking at us and saying, I know you're afraid. I don't blame you. It seems, it's a little freaky to think about someone, about entrusting your life to someone that you can't see. I get it. Don't be afraid. Be brave. Trust me. Don't let anything hinder you from receiving all that I have to give and all that I want and the ways that I want to love you. It's the same way that I want to love my kids. I don't want my kids to be afraid of me. Every now and then, maybe I give them a reason to by the way that I, um, by the way that I talk to them. Uh, I try to catch myself before I go too far. I try to let them know that I'm sorry when I do that. But I don't want them to be afraid of talking to me. I don't want them to feel shame in my presence. And it's the same way with God. And he is a way, way better parent than I am, right? So if we don't want 
to be kept from receiving all that God has to offer us, all that he has to give, what then is the key to living an unhindered life? I've come to love that word. What can be the key to help us living a life that is beyond our circumstances, beyond our fear and our shame? I'll never, (laughs) never claim to know it all. But what I do know is that changing the way I see things, changing the way I see things, and bravely, it, it does take some bravery here, bravely receiving the love from my good father with faith that believes in him even though I can't see him, I know that that is a really, really good place to start. Listening to messages like the ones that Matt and Rick and Clark have preached recently are vital to helping us understand and remember the basics, all that God has given us and where our value, where our worth is placed. We've learned it's in being loved and wanted and given everything that we need by God. But I'm also learning, like I said, I'm also learning that the way we see and think about things Um, And how we choose to live them out is important, too. I mentioned a couple of verses that I bumped into again uh, recently when I was planning BBS because we were going through Acts. I mentioned these verses that I found a number of years ago that kind of renewed my sense of hope for something better. I first stumbled upon these verses in June of 2013. Um... That was a year for us, especially that summer of 2013, was a rough one for our family. My dad passed away that summer, and also uh, we were involved in the closing of a ministry. Alan had been the president of an international ministry. Uh, it was a ministry that had been in, in around. <laughs> it was a ministry that had been around for about two decades when he became the president of it. He spent another decade kind of trying to lead the ship there. Um, that summer, it was a time when the, the reality of grace, the truth that for God so loved the world, it rocked us to our core. Within the ministry that he was leading, there was a lot of good that happened, a lot of good that happened. But there were also mixed messages, and people were hurting. So like I said, for a decade, Alan tried to turn, tried to turn the per- proverbial Titanic around, but the damage had been done, and the ship was sinking. So Alan, along with the confidence the full confidence of his board of directors, they decided to close that ministry. And I gotta be honest, it was like the earth quaked beneath our feet. Honestly, we still feel the ripple effects of that summer today. The hardest part of it though, was how it changed friendships for us. We gained a a few friends for sure, but in a very public and deeply, often deeply personal way, we lost a lot of dear friends. And I tell you this not to rehash the past, but to help you see why these verses that I'm about to talk about, to see how they had such, or why they had such an impact on my life. 
I'd been reading through Acts. Right here, I love it. I'd been reading through Acts and came to the end of the book just as everything was going haywire for us. Seeing how the Apostle Paul handled his circumstances, which were slightly unfavorable, filled me with hope and a purpose. For those of you who don't remember, Acts is a book that was written by Luke uh, to his friend Theophilus. We call him Theo over there in Grace Kids when we talk about him. And it's a sequel to the Gospel of Luke, right? The Gospel of Luke is all about Jesus, takes you basically from birth to ascension. Then Acts basically starts at the ascension and takes you through several years of ministry, uh, looking at what some of the guys that had hung out with Jesus, looking at what they did, and then looking at what a guy named Paul did. Fun fact here, did you know that Luke, in the writing of Luke and Acts, actually wrote more words of the Bible than Paul did. Isn't that fun? I know Paul wrote more letters, but Luke wrote more words. I like that kind of, those little fun facts. Paul was a Roman citizen who was also a part of the Jewish leadership um, and a group of people that who, let's say, didn't care for Christians, all right? They hated them. They persecuted Christians. Paul, um, Along with this group, Paul was one that aggressively persecuted Christians. But through an incredible encounter, maybe like what some of these guys up here were talking about, you know how they talked about, Grady talked about the light. Paul uh, saw such a great light, it actually blinded him for several days, all right? And he had a chance to chit-chat with Jesus. Um, And I'm sure they had a lot to talk about during those three days. But through that encounter with Jesus, Paul became a believer. And eventually he went on three different missionary journeys. It's really cool to think about how he traveled on that eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea and went to all these different kinds of places that are still around today. And he told people about the good news of Jesus and the riches of God's grace. When the Jewish leadership finally turned on him, they made charges against him, they made up charges against him, and they arrested him. So Paul knew his only recourse was to call on his Roman leadership, I mean his Roman citizenship, and get a trial before Caesar. So off to Rome he was sent, under arrest, and guarded by a Roman centurion. Jimmy, are you here? Oh, there, Jimmy. Jimmy, give it up for Jimmy. Come on, Jimmy. Jimmy is here to be a visual of the Roman centurion that Paul was bound to on his way to Rome. All right? I want you to listen to Paul's habits in the midst of his circumstances and see what hope they bring. Look at what he did with a situation that could have easily been fraught with fear and shame. So here's our verses. The very end of Acts, Acts 28, verses 30 and 31. And Paul, bound to a Roman centurion, stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming to all who came to him. 
This word welcoming means to receive from without, to give access to oneself, and it applies that it's done with joy. Here's Paul in some really yucky circumstances, bound to a Roman centurion, awaiting trial. It could have been fraught with fear and shame and all kinds of nastiness. But Paul instead, rather than dwelling in all of the nasty, in all of the negative, in all of the fear, and all of the shame that could have presented itself, Paul remained welcoming joyfully to all. I bet Paul could have played a pretty good blame game too, couldn't he? He could have said it was their fault that I'm here. He didn't do any of that. Now, I have to pause here for just a second. You can just right there. Don't let me go, though. Right here. Uh-huh. Paul did welcome everyone who came to him. But let me tell you something, that doesn't mean we have to do exactly the same. Our circumstances are sometimes different than what Paul was um, was under here. We don't have to give access to ourselves to everyone that knocks on our door. There are people out there that want to do you harm. And unless you have a Roman centurion, if you have someone like Jimmy bound to you, who's been commissioned to watch over you and to protect you until you go to trial, there are times that it's okay for us to be discerning and to say, uh, no, I, I, I need to step back here just a little bit. But you get the idea. Paul was in a place. He understood already that for him to die was to gain. He was in that place. He had someone who was watching over him, and it gave him the freedom to welcome in everyone who came, and he did it with joy. Again, it was, the, it was based on his position in Christ and the fact that he had somebody watching over us, watching over him. All right, Jimmy, you think they have it? I think they got it. All right. Thank you, Jimmy. Everybody give it up for Jimmy, my Roman centurion. I love it. All right. So Paul welcomed everyone into his quarters. And here's what he was doing. Here's what he was doing. He was preaching the kingdom of God. Preaching here means like to proclaim it. To me, it gives a sense of he was talking to people who were hearing about God for the first time. He was proclaiming the kingdom. And he was teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. What I see Paul doing here is kind of like talking to the guys and the, the ladies who were already believers. He was, he was encouraging them and raising them up as disciples, right? And he was doing all of this, preaching the kingdom, teaching concerning the Lord Jesus with all openness. Openness here means boldly, confidently. Here was a man teaching and preaching a radical message to an intolerant culture in the face of arenas and gladiators and lions for people like him who believed like him. Talk about a place to boldly, bravely face your fears he was in that place for sure. And then here's my word. Here's my word. Paul was preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, comma, unhindered. Unhindered. 
This is the only place in the Bible where this word is used. And somehow, to me, it gives it such strength, such power. Paul was unhindered by his circumstances, bound to that Roman centurion. He was unhindered by his fears and his, even his own shame. Under, unhindered means just what you think it means, freely. He was freely speaking. No man, not even himself, would stop him. Not the centurion, not the Jewish leaders, not the culture. No one would stop Paul from preaching and teaching all things concerning the Lord Jesus. Did you know that Paul wrote four of his epistles or his letters that are included in the New Testament from those quarters? So he wrote Ephesians, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon from there. With the Roman centurion at his side, he wrote things like, Blessed be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. That was written with the centurion in those quarters. He also wrote this. This, this picture of Paul in this place blows my mind when I think about these verses that are kind of familiar to us. I know my kids had to memorize them in the third grade at their school. It was there that he wrote, be anxious for nothing. But in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace, get this, picture Jimmy, <laughs> and the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul lived his life unhindered by anything in this world. In an earlier letter, to the Romans before he even got to Rome, he wrote these words. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced, he said, I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things Pow nor, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. And because he couldn't think of anything else, nor any other created thing, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The key to an unhindered life is this. It's remembering that in him, we have overwhelmingly conquered everything because he overwhelmingly conquered everything. His love is bigger than our circumstances. His love is bigger than our fears. It's bigger than our shames. It's bigger than our bad habits. And like Alan and I found on the way to the gym last Thursday morning, like our family experienced in the summer of 2013, and like Paul discovered as he was sitting in his own rented quarters, we will, we will, you guys who just came back from camp, you will run into roadblocks. You'll run into hindrances. But 
we get to control how we respond to them. These circumstances may be out of our control, but we get to control how we respond. Are we receiving our worth, our value from God rather than our own works, rather than our own talents, or the number of likes we get on our social media posts? Are we finding our worth and our value from Him? Are we purposefully welcoming people vulnerably giving them access to ourselves and our church for the purpose, for the purpose of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and the really, really good news about his Father. If so, then we are walking in and through God's lavish grace and we can, like Paul, live unhindered. Let's go ahead. Thanks for listening. Let's go ahead and stand right now and receive a little bit more from our really good God.